hear me? Ah, there we go. All right. The guy singing that song is David Ingalls. He's an, one of the old-time gospel singers and country-western singers. Uh, he's, my, he's the one that's my walking partner. I've got about five or six of his albums, and most of his stuff is Word. And so you can walk and get the Word and all of that. But I did it again. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to see that pen down there on the floor. Part of my personality, you know. <laughs> but anyway, here we go. Uh, you know, a lot of the songs we we sang today was "God, I Want More." Amen. You know, and we we li- live. Uh, you know, you, sometimes you hear that what's going on in the physical sometimes is trans- transferable to uh, the spiritual. And so I pray for fresh wind and fresh fire. We had plenty of wind today, <laughs> and so pray for that fresh fresh. All right. Just a minute. I'll take that. <laughs> I will try to speak up. That's why I was trying to wear that, because sometimes I don't speak up. But anyway, uh, I played that. I wanted that song played today uh, because... And I can look and I can see most of you guys are believers. And I try not to judge where people are in, with God and just be obedient to God to what he's saying to bring. But uh, I became conscious, more conscious this uh, past week uh, on knowing that the personal part of it was me. You know, if it was nobody else here, then Jesus would have done all that he did for me. And it's me that, uh, that, that he died for, the personal part of that. I was, uh, I really, I came here with two messages because I had two and I didn't know which one God wanted me to bring. But <laughs> you may get both of them. Double barrel day, but anyway, you know, sometimes in our lives, God just puts some people in our lives that uh, we draw out of, and uh, sometimes they're not real spiritual, and that's okay. God can still speak through people. And uh, I had a man in my life that, 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 that died, and y'all have heard me talk about him before, and his name was Buford. He wasn't the most spiritual guy in the world, but he was probably one of the most honorable men that I had ever met in my life. And so uh, we had known him for a while, and he came to work for us to do deliveries. He said, I'll do it on one I got, I got one thing that I, two things that I want. 
He said, I don't want you to pay me. Don't mess up my Social Security. <laughs> I said, well, we need to pay you something. You know, you work. He said, no, I won't come if you're going to pay me. And he was a blessing which was when we first opened up. And he said, if I want time off, I'm retired. That I can go. I said, well, I'm not paying you, so I guess <laughs> you take off any time you want to, you know. But he was a very wise man, a very honorable man. He lost his job after years because a guy that he knew retired. And so when they replaced him, they brought some people from corporate headquarters, and they started cutting down the guy that had been there. And he said, son, you're wrong. He stood up in the meeting and said, son, you're wrong. What you're saying about so-and-so isn't right. And so they, after it was all over with, they said, well, maybe it's about time that you retired. He said, I think you're right. It's about time. But anyway, you would never know if you met him. He was a World War II Marine. Two Purple Hearts he got on Okinawa. One of them I knew about and the other one didn't know. I didn't know about until he died and I found out. And he taught me a lot, he taught me a lot especially about how we can have differences with people that we care for. I told him one time he's, he is a very patriotic man and we were talking and uh, somehow we got the uh, the conversation got around to a draft, and I said, in my day, the war that I fought, that if my son was of draft age, I would send him somewhere where he wouldn't have to go to fight a war like the war that I fought, because his life is worth more than that. And he looked at me for a very long time. He said, I got to go. <laughs> he said, okay. So he came back the next day and he said, well, I don't have to agree with you to really love you. So we'll just have to disagree on this. And I found out later that he had that conversation with his son when he was draft age. So it was kind of a sore spot for him. But he was such a good man, moral man. And so get to the point of where kind of what I'm going to talk about today is we didn't do this on purpose. I wish we had. But we introduced him to the Gaithers. And so he had been one of these guys that we're going to talk about that never got much past salvation with the Lord. But he fell in love with the Gaithers. And he said, he said, we, we, we bought videos for him because he wouldn't take a paycheck. So we bought videos for him. Here, take these, take these, you know. And so he was raised in Hermely, Texas. <laughs> yep, his dad was a sharecropper. Somebody else owned the land. He did the work and then shared it with the guy who owned the land. 
And he told me, he came in one day and Buford was about 6'5", about 200 pounds, and a beanpole guy. But he came in, he looked at me, and tears started coming in his eyes. And he said, we was watching the Gaither <laughs> video. And he said, and this is what God does sometimes. He said, and they were, somebody was singing how great thou art. And he said, and I saw something. It was my dad coming in from the field, bringing the mule. He had plowed the mule all day long. He said, he had to be so tired, but he was singing how great thou art. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. And so this kind of lit a fire in him and, uh, you know, that was about three years before he died. And he came to us one time and he said, asked Josie and I said, can y'all do me a favor? I said, yeah. The Gaithers are going to be in Lubbock. <laughs> he said, I can't drive at night anymore. I said, well, you didn't drive my truck during the day. He goes, okay, to drive during the day, right? <laughs> but we took him, took him to see the Gaithers and they enjoyed that so much. But anyway, God lit this in him and not through something that we had planned or something that we had told to do just just god had lit that and so this week josie and i had uh we got a phone call from a lady that we know and her husband is dying and she said, we were talking, as that hospital said, we were talking and was talking about heaven. And my husband said, I don't know if I'll go to heaven. And he said, can y'all come talk to him? And so, so we did. And I had it all planned out. I had, you know, the things that I thought that we that we ought to do, but God kind of changes that. He does that to me a lot. I looks like I'd learn not to plan. But anyway, I sat down with him, and uh, so I asked him, I said, do you, if you died today, do you think you'd go to heaven? And he closed his eyes, and for a long time I thought he had gone to sleep. And for a long time, he sat there with his eyes closed. And he said, I can't answer that question. And so immediately I thought, well, here's the sinner's prayer. We'll get this fixed. And no. So I asked him. I, I just didn't feel like that's something that God hadn't pet woods, that God wanted me to do. So. So uh, I asked him, have you ever received, accepted Jesus? And he said, yeah. And I said, then you're making this way too hard. And I know as a man what he was doing. No, he knows. He knows. He wants to go. He knows. And so... When you're in a place like that, 
you would think back to your past and you think of all the things that you have done. And if you don't have the relationship with Jesus, then you would think, there's no way. There's no way I could get there. And so I just told him, it's not about what you have done. It's about what Jesus has done. You know, and he received that. And I just prayed that that gave him some peace, and we prayed for him a little bit. Uh, But, you know, we sang about this this morning. There is a knowing Jesus. And there is a knowing about Jesus. And so the knowing Jesus takes some things from us to know Jesus. And so we talk about uh, reaching uh, the millennial generation, which we need to do that. The church that doesn't even know about Jesus. But, you know, I got to thinking there's, there's uh, this is kind of like the thing was when I was growing up for for believers is uh, you, most people said, I think I'm going to heaven, but there might be the smell of smoke on me, you know, <laughs> because they didn't have a real relationship with Jesus. There was nothing after salvation. They received the precious gift of salvation, but a lot of times there was nothing after that. And so they didn't learn the things that we are blessed to get to learn. And so we've got that generation too that we need to reach out to. I mean, the fields are white to harvest, you know. You know, I I think that a lot of times on our day of salvation, you have that empty place filled But if you don't move on to the other things, then your confidence kind of gets, kind of gets destroyed. You know, it's like at salvation. When we come to see Jesus, there's a, a box of treasures there for us. It's got our name. The box has got our name on that box of treasures. And that box of treasures looks kind of like this. And so you open the box, and there's all these promises in this box. And so the 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 key is faith to open open that up to your life. I believe that sometimes especially whenever we're babies in this, God opens those promises up for you, but you get to a place where you're, you've grown some, and so it's kind of like a baby, like your baby. When your baby baby gets uh, six years old, you don't want to be changing diapers, right? And so that's kind of where we are. And so... And so there's a scripture that every believer should have, but if you don't know it, then you don't have it. God says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you 
or forsake you. So you need to know that whenever you're going through a hard place and you say, I don't feel God. Well, that's you. That's not God. Because he has said he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. You know, I think about uh, in the Old Testament, you think, man, God was hard. Well, then you begin to realize that these things that, 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 that the, that the uh, Hebrews were doing, that the Jews were doing, was maybe 50 pages, but it was 300, 400 years, you know, of, of God's patience, of them worshiping other gods, of him sacrificing their children to other gods and such as that. And so to save them, he would let people come in and take them into bondage. But then you look even in bondage, the favor that he gave people that still sought after him. You think of Daniel and, and, and others in that. Uh, and so anyway, you know, when, when I really came to Jesus a couple of years before I met Josie, See, I do everything in relation to when I met Josie. And I've, I've shared my testimony with you. But you know what God does to us whenever we come, when we come to Jesus? He changes our identity. Amen. We're a new creation. He changes our identity. We're not who we used to be anymore. And so about... It's probably a little over a year after I had an encounter with God, and God had changed my life, and I, 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 I was so grateful. And I met Josie, and we started dating. And guys would come up, you know, everybody said that I wouldn't make it very long. You know, just one of them deals, you know, you'll get over it type of deal. But I was serious. And so God began to change my life. Josie and I started dating, and so guys would come up and say, Greg, you remember when? And stuff like that. And one day Josie turned to me and she said, I didn't know that guy that they talk about. God changes your identity when you come to Jesus. If you know his word. We talk about, we, we sang the songs today about how we want more, and God wants to give us more. But when we pray, we want more, God says, I want more. Amen? Amen? That's the way that works, is God says, I want more of you. I'll give you more of me. Amen. You know, one of the, one of the scriptures that uh, uh, God kind of lit up, Early in my walk with him, and we, we've talked about it a few times. Uh, Ashley talked about it last week. It was Romans 12. It's 12 too. The renewing of your mind. And it says, starting with verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Well, how do we do that? Well, he tells us the next verse. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is your soul, that you may prove what is what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Renewing of the mind. And so Ephesians 5.26 talks about the washing of water by the word. And so as I began to get hold of this scripture and say, well, God, that's mine. I want that. I've got so much garbage in my soul that I need that. You sold your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so I've kind of shared a little bit about uh, some of the things that I faced when I got out of the service. And one of them was this thing where if I sat down and it was quiet too long, the movie camera would start playing in my mind. And so it was always the same picture. It was always five hours long. And so I had to learn if I had to go to work not to sit down somewhere where it's quiet. You know, an hour before I go to work, I need to go and start doing something so that I don't get in that trap because I'm gone for five hours when that happened. When I got a hold of this is when it went away because there was a washing. There was a washing of the water of the word. As you go and you start reading God's word and you start seeing how much he loves you and the things that he wants to do for you, the promises that he's made to you. The guy that we prayed for didn't know that. He didn't know that. Changed identity. What happens to a new believer is we come to Jesus conformed to this world. Romans 12, 2 says, be not conformed to this world. So a change has to happen. We are conformed to this, this, this world, a world ruled by the God of this world, Satan. And so... That's what we knew. That's why so many of our relationships are so messed up. Is because that's what we know. And we need uh, to allow. I don't care if you've walked with the Lord for 70 years or you walked with the Lord for seven days. We still need to be uh, to have our have our minds renewed because we're out in the world. We're getting all this stuff all the time coming in and we need to have our minds renewed. We're a new creation. I can tell you that it doesn't take me long to realize when I haven't been in the word like I should be. My prayer life hasn't been what it should be. 
because I see the results of that. I begin to see the results of that. And then I got, I've got to repent and I've got to go back and get in the word and get in relationship with God so I can have that junk taken out. Sometimes that is revealed in like a uh, harsh word to your spouse or or maybe a thought. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have an abundant life, have it abundantly. A complete life full of purpose. Abundant life. I'm so grateful to have the life that I didn't deserve. It's all through what Jesus has done for me. So I'm going to kind of get over. This has something to do with the first part. This is my second message, and I'll get through it pretty quick. I thought I was going to do a teaching on Ruth. And so I came across it. Ruth was a Moabite, and I knew that. But I came across it, and it was kind of like it kind of stuck in my mind for a while. So... You know, you look at the lineage of Jesus, and see the one or two generations removed from Rahab is Ruth. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was a Moabite. Isn't it interesting? When you look at the lineage of Jesus, the uh, people that would be discarded in that in that time, how they're in the lineage of Jesus. What does that What does that say to us? You know. But anyway, I got to looking at uh, at Ruth, and so kind of just you know, for most of us older guys, we've gone through the Bible. I don't know how many, fifteen, twenty times, probably, and but it's a living word, it is. And so, I got to the part of Lot's daughters, and what Lot's daughters did, and we'll we'll get more into this but this is kind of what spurred this after they were uh, after they had left Sodom and the girls were talking and said well mom's kind of salty you know (laughs) dad he doesn't have uh, any heirs other than us any sons and so here's what we're going to do. We're going to get him drunk, and he's going to make us pregnant. And I thought, gosh, how demonic is that? How did them girls come up with that idea, you know? And God said, they lived in Sodom. They lived in Sodom. That's what they knew. Thank God we got Romans 12, 2. The washing of the water of the word. And so I'm going to, we're going to talk a little bit about Abraham and Lot, or Abram and Lot. So, who was Lot to Abram? Most of us know this story. So who was Lot to Abram? He's his nephew. 
And so why do you think Abram cared so much for Lot? I'm sure he had other nephews. But they didn't have any kids. And so he kind of liked Lot, and he was going to help Lot out. And so he took him kind of like a son to him. And so I'm not going to read, the, read all these scriptures. This is in, both of this is going to be Genesis 13 to Genesis 19. And uh, I'll give you the scriptures. But if you remember, they had both had their herds and all of that. And so they came to a place where both of their herds had grown very large. God had prospered them. And so the scripture says in uh, Genesis 13, 8, 13, we're going to start with verse 6. Now the land was not able to support them, talking about their flocks and their herds, that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, there was strife, right? Abram said to Lot, uh, please let there be no strife between you and me. Ain't that a great way? You see this stuff coming, and I don't want any strife with you, is what he was telling him. For we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. You take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right, I will go to the left. Lot said, oh, okay. Uh, say the, the, the scripture said, and Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was very well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. That was Lot's choice. He chose what looked the best for Lot. So he chose that. I'm sure that Lot thought to himself, well, this is a no-brainer, you know. Here you got this sorry old land over here, and you got this good land over here. But Lot had been around Abram long enough that he should have known the least he could do is say, God, which is the best land for me? See, I've learned that about two, three years ago. It takes a long time to learn that because... The way of the world is, man, this looks good. It's got to be God, right? I don't even have to ask. <laughs> right? Yeah. And they separated from each other. And so, Abram dealt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities, in the cities of the plain. What happened? He had all of these herds and all these flocks. But now he wants to dwell in the city. 
and he pitched his tent toward Sodom. Oh, my gosh. Pitched his tent toward Sodom. A friend of mine was telling me about a, a friend of his. He said, this guy has walked with the Lord for 15 years and served God. He has taught. He has done all this stuff. He said, but you know, one of his old buddies from high school moved back to town. And he thought, well, I just want to get to know what's been going on in his life. Well, he said, now he's so far away from the Lord. And he said, his wife is saying, I'm not sure that we can be married anymore. Well, what happened? He cast, he uh, pitched his tent towards Sodom. You know, you can't entertain that stuff. So why do you think Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom? I think everybody knew what was going on there. And he thought, well, this is interesting. I've never seen any of this around Uncle Abraham. I wonder what all this is about. Maybe if I get close, I can figure out what all this stuff is about. The people of Sodom were wicked and sinful. Interesting thing. Because God knows our heart, right? God knows our heart. Sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. It's always good. And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, what do you think? He didn't reveal this to him before. He said, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are. Northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and width, for I give it to you. Then Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt by the, the terebinth trees, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. But God waited until Lot was gone to reveal his promise to Abraham. Lot would probably want the best of that too. I don't know. But it's just interesting. You know, this thing goes on and so Lot gets over into that area and some kings come and make war and so they capture Lot. Abraham finds out about it. He gets all of his guys together and he goes and rescues Lot from those guys. He still loves Lot. And then remember the three angels came with a word for Abraham about Isaac and all of this, and so they that that was just a stop for them. They were going to go to Sodom, and so Abraham bartered, tried to barter with them, and bartered with them, and got down from I forget how many three hundred or so to if they could find ten, I think ten uh, righteous people in Sodom that they wouldn't destroy it. But here's the deal: 
in Genesis 19, it says, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. What it meant to be sitting at the gate in those days of the city was that you were one of the rulers in the city, that you were city councilman. I don't know. But they were the ruler in the city. They got the distinction of sitting in the gate. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. So he had been around Abram enough to know that these just ain't regular old guys that are coming. These, uh, these, are, these are messengers of God. Lot knew who they were, and he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night. And wash your feet, then you may rise early and go on your way, you know. I don't want them to see what's going on in this place, right? And they said, no, but we'll spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now, they had some visitors during the uh, during the night, and so those guys had to rescue uh, Lot because he was trying to keep them away from those guys. They wanted those guys so that they may know them carnally. And so they get, I'm almost done. So that when they get to, get to the, uh, get to, uh, get through the, the night, they told him, uh, to go out, you know, he, he had told them, said, uh, he told them to try to defend those two guys or whatever. He said, take my daughters, they're virgins. And they said, no, we want those guys, right? Well, so it says, so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws. Well, so much for his virgin daughters. And said, Get up and get out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-laws, to them, they said that he was joking. Why would I want to move from here? Right? It says, Rise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, you want to say, Lot? What are you doing? You know, they told you they're going to destroy the city. And they said, well, you need to get your, get your wife and your daughters and get out of here. And he wanted to linger. So they brought him outside and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought him outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind, behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. And so... Why did God do this with the deal with Lot? Was it because Lot was a righteous man? Verse 29 says, And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overflow. So it wasn't Lot, it was Abraham. 
So anyway, it's interesting to see uh, the two offspring of the daughters was, uh, was Moab and Ammon. And so that's where the Moabites and the Ammonites came from. That's where the capital of Jordan is, Ammon, Jordan, is named after this old city that was named after the Ammonites. And so I think the Ammonites are, are the Palestinians of today is what, what they say. And so you look at Ishmael. Abraham messed that one up. Abraham and Sarah messed that one up. But Ishmael, and God blessed Ishmael, most of the Arabs that, that give Israel so much problem are sons of Ishmael, most of them, not all of them. And so it seems like they're just creating enemies over and over. And God, God, God still uh, blesses them, but they become their enemies. So it's amazing that as time passed and Lot had ceased being a shepherd, that the land looked so well, looked so good, that he wasn't a shepherd anymore, that he wasn't, didn't maintain the clock, the flock and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And because of that, his wife is dead. And look at his daughters. His wealth is gone. And now he has two sons by his daughters. No choices may look good in the natural, but not be God's choices for us. And so this kind of goes back to what I was first talking about, about There's a uh, there's a group of believers, a large group of believers in America that have not moved on past salvation. And so when they reach the hardest times in their life, when they know they're facing eternity, they don't have a whole lot of confidence because they have no relationship. You wonder sometimes of these guys that, uh, I don't know how old this guy is I talked to, but he's older than me. And so I wonder if he uh, accepted Jesus as a child, and that was it. You know, how much he missed out on the relationship. We should be so grateful that God placed us in the places that he has placed us. Because we know about the relationship. And so I got one more song. I just sit back and listen to the song. If you need some prayer, you can come and I'll pray for you. This is another David Engel song. It's a, uh, it's a song that, uh, it's an old song, one of his old songs. But I hadn't known the Lord very long. And this song came up. And God speaks to me a lot through song. But this was kind of my coming to the Lord testimony. So if you need some prayer, come up and I'll pray for you.